0: Wealth Tactic Rebels, ingenious tactics to accumulate wealth for people who see things differently.
1: Welcome to another entrepreneur interview with Wealth Tactic Rebels, the podcast for people who see things differently. I'm your host, Kevin Dumont, and I've been seeing things differently in the wealth field for well over 10 years now. Today, we're joined by a guest, Lane Kawoka. How are you doing today, Lane? Hey, thanks for having me, Kevin. Great. Thank you for being here. I appreciate you uh, sharing your time and your knowledge with our listeners. So, Lane, he started by getting a bachelor's in engineering. Is that correct? Engineering? Yeah. At University of Washington. And he got out into the working world working as a professional engineer. But he decided to get into real estate investing in, what was that, 2008, 2009, something like that?
0: Right. Shortly after graduation a rental
1: you bought a rental in seattle but you found that there's a different direction you want to go with the real estate
0: yeah i basically bought a rental and then you know realized you know i made a lot of cash while doing it so i just kind of focused on saving more money to buy more of those things so i could quit my day job that i didn't really enjoy right seven years later i had 11 rentals and then i think about 10 years later after that 2600 today and uh, quit my job a couple of months ago and- Excellent. Congratulations, by the way. Thanks, thanks. It's just entering the the new rat race, right? You never stop working.
1: Yeah, no, never. You know, the problem is when you become your own boss, you end up working more.
0: (laughs) Right, (laughs) right.
1: I don't think there's anybody, well, I mean, usually the toughest boss is yourself, right? Right. But there's perks to it. I know you started with the uh, $2,200 a month rental there in Seattle. But then you transition into different cash flow markets. So
0: what kind of markets are those?
1: Why did you do that?
0: I bought my first couple of rentals in Seattle, which is a, called a primary market. So primary markets are Seattle, Los Angeles, San Francisco, Hawaii, New York, Boston. And these are all like the cool places to live. It's like, very expensive. But more importantly, the rent-to-value ratios are mm-hmm. not advantageous to hold or buy and or hold property that, where the income will exceed the expenses. So we kind of look at properties in secondary and tertiary markets, you know, places like Birmingham, Atlanta, Indianapolis, Kansas City, Memphis, uh, Jacksonville, Florida, you know, places like that, that are the secondary markets where rental value ratios are high enough to be able to cash flow. So maybe we'll talk about the rental value ratios a little bit. So how you figure out the rent to value ratio is you take the monthly rent divided by the purchase price. In Seattle, your average home might be five hundred thousand, and that'll rent for twenty five hundred. So it's half a percent rent to value ratio. As investors, we try and look for a one percent or higher to be able to cash flow. That's sort of the quick and dirty way of you know seeing if it will cash flow. So a lot of the properties we'll buy will be a hundred thousand dollar home that'll rent for a thousand dollars a month. So that's one percent or higher. You're just looking online at Zillow. You know, Zillow is not the best place for pricing, but not good enough for government work, right? Like, you know, good way to see if you're in a secondary or primary market. Good tip there. So
1: Zillow, <laughs> I've done that before. I've been on there. How far have you gone with the uh, acquiring of the rental properties now?
0: My first five to seven years, I just focused on um, saving up 30 grand to go buy a $100,000 house um, that rented for a thousand bucks. Each property got a few hundred dollars of passive cash for a month. Uh, but that doesn't include the mortgage pay down because your tenants paying down your mortgage, the tax benefits and the appreciation. The bad thing about secondary and tertiary markets they don't appreciate as heavily as the primary markets, but you know, the ups and downs aren't as high and low, which is a nice thing. I consider appreciation as gambling, I bet on the sure thing, which is cash flow. Right. Where- Right, right. That's the fundamental difference. Right. So that's something you can count on more, something more predictable. Right. And I feel like for people who are under half a million dollars net worth, I think you have to go out and hit a bunch of singles. You got to do the more conservative play to build your portfolio, which is cash flow. I think all too often people get shiny object syndrome and they start to take these home run swings and they go after these high risk, high return investments where I think the you know the prudent way is just to pick up single family home rentals one by one by one and your experience will get better, your your deal finding ability will get better, and you just kind of build up your portfolio that way.
1: Right. Okay, good tip. So speaking of building your portfolio, right? So your your focus is on passive income, passive cash flow, correct? Right. Which is the title of your podcast, a simple passive cash flow. Can you talk a little bit to the basics of passive rental? you know, passive cash flow like that, building the rental portfolio. For you in particular, I think you can speak to a lot of people because what a lot of people out there, when they're looking at doing this, they don't have the money to quit their day job. So they're looking to get into this while still working, which is your experience, correct? Right, right.
0: Yeah, I mean, I would say like, when people think of real estate investing, they think of all these active real estate investing activities like wholesaling flipping houses right i don't do any of that right like i'm a passive investor unfortunately to be a passive investor you need a little bit of capital right 20% down payment to buy a property i don't do any of these like no money down stuff no tricks no game i had a good professional paying job and i used that money to use it as a down payment to acquire assets as a passive investor, your job is to go find good quality assets, um, procure them and use other experts like property managers and property inspectors to make sure that's a good asset and just to keep acquiring them and let them pile up uh, amongst each other. Um, and it shouldn't take that long. You know, it shouldn't take more than like an hour or two a week if you know mm. what you're doing and you're working with the right people. Right.
1: That sounds like that's the key, because if you're working a job, you don't have a lot of time. So the key to being able to manage that is to find other professionals that
0: are good at what they do that you can count on to help you with that. Right. And as you know, they they say your network is your network. I just didn't find too much of that at the local RIAs, local real estate clubs. I mean, local real estate clubs, I mean, they're great, but they're unfortunately just most times filled with lower network people who are looking to do more active real estate activities. Right. What you need to do is you need to find other passive investor types that are kind of doing what you're wanting to do and kind of build relationships with them, add value to them, buy them lunch. If you need to buy them a gift card or whatever to figure out who they're using, you know, you don't need to recreate the wheel. Just copy what other people are doing. Use the same markets, use the same providers, use the same property managers. Same. True.
1: Yeah, that's true. And that's, Oftentimes, the way it is with business, it, there's no need to reinvent the wheel. The path to how to have success in that, in, in your case, the passive real estate, is
0: already been, it's already been done. It's out there, so you just got to. Right, and there's enough of a barrier to entry. I mean, for these, you know, hundred thousand dollar property, you need twenty, twenty five grand to get started. Right, that just thins the herd, you know, pretty quickly. Right, and that's why it's pretty easy. Yeah, yeah, Applying and demand. I guess you're saying it's it's because there's less people doing it. It's easier. For you yeah, you, I mean, it. not many people can muster more than five, 10 grand to go out and buy an asset, let alone 20, 25,000. You know, for some people, that's not too much money. But for most of America, that's a lot of money. Sure. And that, that just takes them out of the, the running to compete with you. Right, right. So how would you
1: best use your money to invest into whatever is, is best invested into
0: for the real estate? I mean, I think when you're starting out, like I said, picking up single family homes is the best way to go. Most of the folks I work with are doctors, lawyers, engineers, guys making over a hundred grand a year in their job. They will likely graduate to private placements and syndications in in the near future. That's why I suggest people starting out with single family homes because single family homes make for good retail investment or to sell to retail buyers. Duplexes, triplexes, or quads. The cash flow numbers look a little bit better, but the HS strategy just isn't there. It's, right. it's hard to sell that. The only person who's wanting to buy that is another cheapskate investor. <laughs> and so it's going to sit on the market for a while. So with the near future in mind that you're going to, you know, consolidate and go to more liquid and more passive investments as LP in a bigger deal, a limited partner in a bigger deal, I suggest starting out with a few single family homes and then reevaluating from there. Right. Good
1: tip. Good place to start. Now, you know, another thing that I think will be on a lot of people's minds is, you know, when I buy all these homes, how am I going to manage these? And and if I'm looking to really find the best deal, I may or may not find it near me. So then the problem becomes not just if it's near you, you can probably if someone calls and says, hey, I've got a problem with my electrical, you can go check it out. But not everything's going to be near you. So how do you handle that when it comes to
0: managing these properties remotely? Right. So as a passive investor, you need to focus on being an investor, not a landlord. Right. So part of that is employing professional third-party property management to do your dirty work for you. Makes sense. And um, you know, part of that is you need the buffer in the numbers, right? You need to have those rent-to-value ratios 1% or higher to be able to pay a professional property management company 8 to 10% of the monthly rents. And then, you know, pay them the lease-up fee when they find you a new tenant they may charge you a little bit more for some repairs here and there, but Hey, that's just the business, right? That's right. You're trying to build a scalable business, not just be like most real estate investors and just have one or two properties.
1: Right. In which, like you said, you're the property manager. And if you're
0: busy being a property manager, you can't spend your time finding more properties. Right. Or for a lot of my folks, it's their time is better spent. Just picking up another shift at work, doing an extra surgery or whatever. Right their highest and best use.
1: Yeah, something that brings them more money rather than... Right. (laughs) Do you have any tips on how to find good management companies to help out with this kind of thing?
0: I always say referrals is probably the best way of doing things. I just wrote an article last week on 25 questions to ask in an interview from a property manager. Mm -hmm. But those are just guidelines, right? You can find those on my website. But I always tell people, you know, don't ask them all 25 questions because... They'll just think you're weird and <laughs> a good property manager won't want to work with you because you're a pain in the butt. But just right. use those questions as guidelines to just get a conversation going, right? Do you work with this person well? Do they seem intelligent? Is this a good foundation for a business relationship?
1: Right. Now, of course, the reason why people are investing into real estate is to build their, their wealth, build their portfolio, right? Now, once you finally do get there, you've got some properties under your belt, you're making a little bit of money.
0: What do you do with it? What some ways that sophisticated investors are handling that? I see real estate investing as sort of more of an end game financial wealth building. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's one of those things that'll always be in need, right? People will always need a place to to live, especially when right. you're working in the B and the C class area. You know, non luxury type that the high class end. Right, there'll always be a need for that type of housing. The returns aren't spectacular, although you know. Ten to thirty percent returns a year isn't too bad, but the it's pretty easy. Yeah, it's pretty simple to do. So I always tell people like they have like a startup or a, or an entrepreneur business, focus on that, make a whole bunch of money, but then pile it into real estate after. Right. So you know if you're thinking about it in terms of buckets, you make a whole bunch of money, you pour into real estate, and then to answer your question, once you've got your real estate portfolio up to a critical mass, well, you just buy more real estate yeah. you just keep buying more and more assets because the beauty of real estate is that the passive losses that kicks back to you can be used to offset your active income. Right. Especially when you start to go to that real estate professional status on taxes. Right. It's just unfair for the average W-2 worker these days, in my opinion. Right. Yeah. All the tax benefits they're missing out.
1: Right. So there you go. So what kind
0: of tax benefits can they look forward to in real estate? Whether you own a um, single-family home and you don't really do much, it's still considered a business. <laughs> Very simple one. Okay. Yeah. So you're able to write off those business expenses that are necessary to do that business: cell phones, computers, that type of stuff, postage. Right. At that point, you need to sort of get clever on what you're you're writing off um, mm-hmm. from that business perspective. The, the nice thing about owning real estate is you can depreciate the cost of the building one twenty seventh of the value every single year. So that is a paper loss. So the building is still there. It's still performing and still producing income for you. But on your taxes, you can take that depreciation as a loss, paper loss every year to show for even more income. That's good. So
1: it's creating deductions that people would never otherwise be able to have.
0: Right, right. I mean, even... I mean, you're seeing it on the uh, the the primary residence side now. I mean, before you used to be able to write off your mortgage interest, And I think now they're starting to cap that off. And they have, yeah. I'm sure in the next 10 years, we'll probably phase that out completely because the country's just looking more for revenue. But as far as a real estate investor, I mean, that will always be a business expense. And I'm pretty right. sure that will always be deductible.
1: Right. Well, you know, there has to be some sort of deductions for business. Otherwise, businesses wouldn't be profitable and we wouldn't have any. So uh, yeah, you're probably right. That's probably a safer bet
0: than like you're saying, being able to write off the interest on in your primary residence. Right. I mean, I think I talk about this all the time, right? I mean, there's these tactics there these, I call them like wealth secrets that yep. the wealthy do that just the average people out there just don't do. And Unfortunately, that's what's going to keep them working at their jobs for 40, 50 years, never ever being able to retire. Right. These secrets or tactics aren't that hard. And they're pretty attainable for the average person. It's just more about education and building your network to kind of implement that into your own life. Yeah,
1: it's true. Wealthy people are using it, but it doesn't mean it only works for wealthy people. A long time ago, when I was younger, I think I was like a teenager, and someone said to me, I think it was, it was my father actually said to me, you know, emulate what you want to be. If you want to have more money, what is someone with more money than you doing? They're doing something different. They're thinking differently about their money than the average person that what's out there in mainstream media. I think you have a tactic, right, that you use with Wealth Tactic Realms, We talk about major capital purchases. So an issue is that if you buy something, whether you finance it through some uh, like a bank and pay them interest or you take your money and you buy it, you're still paying interest. But there's ways to set up your own system so that you can basically take a loan from yourself and not lose all the interest, right? You have a tactic like that.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, people can Google this. I mean, it's nothing new, but it's definitely one of those things aren't talked about in mainstream is like the infinite banking concept. Right. So you're using life insurance, which, you know, life insurance normally you're doing it for the death payout correct that's how people traditionally think about it yes right we're not really doing it for that we're just using it as a loophole because the government doesn't tax life insurance
1: correct the cash value and life insurance as long as it's in there isn't taxed you can access it through a loan and a loan is not taxed because it's not income
0: and it's also sheltered from creditors and litigation but right it's a tactic that the wealthy use to kind of store liquidity and to just kind of store money until yep. they need it not for a rainy day rich people don't think of rainy days they think of more opportunities to go after yeah so today i invest in private placements and syndications and usually you know you're investing as a limited partner and usually the minimum investment is fifty thousand dollars which are great investments only offered to people in the personal network or in the cool kids club and the country club. But they don't come up very often and they come up very um, erratically. I mean, last year, there were like two or three that came up in like November, December, and I needed some money <laughs> because <laughs> for good deals. right? But I used my life insurance as sort of that liquidity fund or opportunity fund is how I call it to uh, dip out of there. And then, you know, earlier this year, I was kind of replenishing it, throwing up the battery and getting ready for the next barrage if that ever happened.
1: Yep, absolutely. Great tactic right there actually, very useful. Helps set people up in a way, because what are people typically doing? Uh, Most people are taking their money and they're putting it into a 401k, which is not easy to access, or they're putting it into their primary residence, which again, is not easy to access. So that's one of those
0: secrets that uh, anyone can take advantage of. Right. I've even seen people use it as like a savings account for their kids' college. I mean, it blows the 529 or all these other um, Coverdell accounts out of the water, in my opinion.
1: Yes, because when people are calculating their uh, EFC, their expected family contribution for college, life insurance specifically does not count towards it. So you can get more financial aid. Cool. Another right. reason. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's it's one of those. There's all kinds of little hidden benefits like that. And of course, it's easily accessible. It's easily accountable. You put money into a 529. This happened with, with my family recently. My aunt, her and her husband had put some money into 529s. My cousin has triplets and two of the triplets went to college and then to grad school and one of them didn't. But they had 529s for all of them. So now it's a matter of, geez, am I going to use all this money or not? Because if you don't use it for college, then, you know, you have to take all the money out and it becomes taxable
0: at ordinary income tax plus a 10% penalty. Yeah. I think for me, like, the biggest reason I don't like 529s or 401ks is you're stuck with these garbage investments, these garbage retail investments. Yeah. That are being all these hidden fees and then... I mean, how is it that you can have a single family home and you can be making usually about 30% conservatively every year on it? I mean, you add up mortgage pay down, tax benefits, appreciation, and cash flow. And how is it that you can only get 8 10% in the stock market? I mean, where did that 20% delta go?
1: And if you're lucky, because sometimes you don't. <laughs> right. There's very little control. When you put money into something like a 529, there's only specific investments in there.
0: That's it. You don't have any choice. You have a choice what to do with your investments. Right. I mean, you can self-direct your, your retirement money. It's just very hard for these you know, these companies trying to make it very difficult for you to take it out of there. Yeah. Well, that's... You're playing in their pond. They want you to play in their pond.
1: then there you go. That's what it is, right? If you're investing with a company that way, then
0: yeah, of course, their rules are going to be to benefit them more than to benefit you. My mission from the start was just to create a website and podcast, just to show people it's possible to buy a single family home and they, they can scale it from there. Um, because I mean, if you keep doing the mainstream investing, then you're never going to get anywhere. It's difficult.
1: Certainly is. I mean, that's what most people are doing. And most people are finding it difficult to have enough money to retire. That's why we have Wealth Tactic Rebels. We're trying to think differently about money because people are looking for other answers there are other solutions out there uh like your your simple passive cash flow so speaking of that what are three rules of investing that that you use with your simple passive cash flow
0: yeah so the first rule is i only invest in hard assets real tangible things like houses like real estate for example um You know, things that aren't hard assets are like paper stocks or mutual funds. Lululemon uh, CEO can say something stupid about yoga pants and then the value just drops overnight. Right. Not a hard tangible asset. It's more predicated on like emotion and expectations. Second rule is it needs to produce income. That's why I don't like 401k stuff is like it doesn't give you income today. Right. I'm trying to buy all these single family homes or investment properties. That produce mini pensions, and when I get enough of them, I have a pension today. It creates income for me today. Gold is the example where it doesn't produce income. It's a hard, tangible asset, but it doesn't produce income. The last one is leverage. To be able to retire in five years instead of the normal forty to fifty, you're going to need some leverage, and you're going to need to use safe, prudent leverage. And fortunately, with real estate, you know, there's these Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac sort of government-sponsored loans that They're pretty much just begging you to take out these loans so you can leverage it prudently. (laughs) Right. The more you ask for.
1: Yep. Leverage is important. When you're using leverage, you're using someone else's money so that you have more of your own money, control of your money to be able to buy the assets like you have, the single family homes or whatnot, to create an income stream. Right. That's powerful because
0: that's making your money work for you, right? Traditional... Money mindsets are like, you know, don't use leverage, you don't want to take on debt, but that's not what businesses do. They take on debt as long as whatever they're buying produces them more income in the long run.
1: Yeah, Makes sense. All right, Lane, before uh, we close today, I'm going to ask you if you have a value bomb, something that in your experience that our listeners could look to avoid.
0: So I wrote an article, simplepassivecasual.com slash fail. I, I lost like 40 grand in my first syndication deal that I did. And my value bomb is don't work with anybody you don't know, like, or trust or have a personal relationship with. And that can not be said for, you know, even the 401k stuff. Do you know those people? I mean, you might know the salesman who gets the commission every time you purchase something. Yeah. But do you know the people who are actually doing the asset management and the operation? I only invest in things that where the chips are stacked in my favor and I have insider information. Like I know like a, this is in the path of progress in the city. And I know the people who are doing the work for me. Only work for people you know, like, or trust. Excellent. Good tip. Anything else you'd like to say to our listeners before we close today? You guys are interested in picking up single-family homes My podcast, I'm up to episode 150 right now, but the first 20 podcasts are somehow like, they're kind of became foundational Mm. uh, material where it really helps you, you know, where do you find your own rental properties? What is the mindset? What do you do? How do you build your team? So if you're interested in kind of with real estate investing, yeah, start from episode one through 20 and then shoot me an email. Let me know your thoughts. Lane at at com.
1: Excellent. Great. Thank you for that. That's a good resource for our listeners. And I'm going to put your your website, and your contact information on our show notes page for today. So listeners, you can go to WealthTacticRebels.com and find the show notes and find the show note page for Lane Kawoka there and all that information will be on there. While you're there, you can also download our free guide to the three key areas that you could be losing money unknowingly and unnecessarily. Lane, I want to thank you again today for your time and sharing your valuable information with our listeners. Yeah, thanks for having me, Kevin. Great having you today. Thank you for being here, Wealth Tactic Rebels, and have a fantastic day.
0: Want to really see things differently? Take our course, Ingenious Tactics 201, where we teach you all the wealth accumulating tactics with detailed real-life examples, see your progress with quizzes, and a certificate of completion. For course details, visit WealthTacticRebels.com. Sign up today and start seeing things differently.
1: This presentation is intended as informational only. The Information presented does not consider your particular financial objectives, risk tolerance, time horizon, or other unique circumstances, and does not constitute a personalized recommendation or replace the advice of a financial, tax, or legal advisor, or other qualified professionals. Do your own research and do not use the information of this presentation in place of a customized consultation with a licensed professional. To the best of our ability, we provide content that is accurate as of the date of release. However, we give no assurance or guarantee regarding its accuracy, timeliness, completeness, or applicability. We assume no liability for the information of this and related presentations.